Welcome back to Cresta in the Afternoon with me, Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Cresta on this lovely day on August the 17th. On Monday, the Swiss Bishops' Conference published a document for the upcoming Synod on the Synodality in Rome reporting the Catholic Church was seen as suffering from clericalism. That's a novel accusation, as there ever has been, and as well as denying equality to women and excluding people with LGBTQ identity. I'm blessed to have Dr. Matthew Bunsen join us as we take a look at this and other church news. For those of you who listen in regularly to Crescent the Afternoon, Dr. Bunsen is no stranger. He is the executive editor and Washington Bureau Chief for EWTN News, and he's a senior fellow at the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. He's also the author or co-author of more than 50 books, including the first English-language biography of Pope Francis and the Encyclopedia of Catholic History. For those of you interested in following him, he can be found on Twitter at Matt Bunsen. And he also has a show on Register Radio, which airs Saturdays at 7 p.m. and Sundays at 11 a.m. How are you doing, Dr. Bunsen? I'm very well. It's great to be with you, as always. Likewise. Likewise. So we have very little time to discuss something of monumental importance. Just give us a brief overview of what the Swiss, what, what the Swiss bishops... Uh, so, I mean, first of all, the synod that the Swiss bishops had, uh, it happened on in May. It, it, it's not something that's relatively new. We're just looking at the report that's come out. Well, that's right. Uh, so first, by way of uh, additional context, um, the, the Swiss bishops are acting on one of the things that uh, Pope Francis has asked, uh, and the Synod of Bishops uh, that will be held on the Synod on Synodality uh, next year uh, in Rome, in October of 2023, is to have these listening sessions, uh, and then also uh, to apparently uh, really try to find ways to hear from everyone. Now, we have seen different efforts across uh, the globe we had Australia, very famously, and then, of course, Germany, even more famously, mm-hmm. uh, holding different types of synodal assemblies. In this particular case, uh, the synodal assembly in Switzerland, as you know, was uh, held at the end of May uh, and brought together what we can assume would be a, a fairly uh, specific list of people to be heard, and then all of their comments uh, were put together, and this is the final report that uh, we're assuming is going to be uh, sent off to the Synod on Synodality. Uh, I'm trying not to have too much snark in my voice <laughs> as I'm saying some of this. Uh, there have been some real concerns raised uh, about some of the process. We are very aware of the train wreck that has happened uh, ecclesiastically and theologically in Germany. Yeah. Uh, to the point that even Pope Francis has weighed in several times, expressing great alarm. Uh, right. The synodist model assembly or synod assembly in Australia uh, had its flare-ups of real controversy. Uh, some of those, I think, because of the solidity of a number of the key bishops uh, in Australia, uh, I think was kept from going completely off the rails, as some had feared. So here we have uh, the Swiss bishops now issuing their document that's uh, going to be sent off, as I said. And you read some of their so-called key findings, and that includes uh, the concerns they have for clericalism, Mm -hmm. uh, denying equality to women, and excluding people with the LGBTQ identity. 
And uh, it comes as no surprise uh, that uh, the Swiss bishops are probably in this direction. Uh, the big question now is uh, what are some of the details in this, but then what's going to happen to this report once it hits Rome? Right. Uh, and this is also part and parcel with uh, some of the very worrisome details that we're hearing about how some of the synodal listening sessions have played out around the world and just the sheer level of participation on the part of average Catholics. Right. Because one of the problems that, well, one of the ostensible problems that is surfacing as a result of these listening sessions across the world is the the guise that's being presented to the general populace of the faithful that now dogma and doctrine are subject to the democratic process and uh, the, the the process of the lay faithful weighing in on what they'd like and what they'd not like. Now, before we go on any further, how many people for this whole uh, synod of the Swiss bishops, how many people were surveyed? How, how many people, how large was the sample of the people surveyed? Because that that's not well, been released yet, right? That, that's exactly right. And this is the, the one of, just one of many questions, I think, that uh, will be raised in the coming days as people actually look at this report, uh, in part because uh, the document itself does not actually list the number of participants uh, in the various surveys, uh, certainly on a worldwide uh, dimension. Uh, and where the uh, the actual respondents, uh, where are the questionnaires coming from, how are they phrased, and other things. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of questions uh, that remain unanswered. And one of the, the things that uh, has been asked on a couple of occasions is that these listening sessions that are taking place in parishes, uh, even across the United States, I mean, many diocesan bishops, in fact, as far as I'm aware, all diocesan bishops have participated in some fashion or another because the Holy Father has asked this, and this is important as we lead into the Synod on Synodality. Mm-hmm. But those who are motivated to take part in these parish listening sessions, and then it now moves up to the diocesan phase, and then we're heading uh, into next year with the sort of continental phase that's going to be uh, playing out. So in other words, the whole of North America. Right. The question is, what are those levels of participation? Who's actually taking part? We have anecdotal evidence and other things that they tend to skew older. Uh, they tend to skew in a way that's, uh, as far as the United States goes, much less diverse uh, than the, the current U.S. Catholic population. So we're seeing segments of the U.S. Catholic population in much the same way that I suspect that we are seeing segments of the Catholic population in different countries in a different diocese. Right. Is that a true representation of Catholic concerns globally is, I think, a fair question to ask. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things we're going to have to explore uh, as more and more of these reports come out. And it doesn't help that if we are going with, as you mentioned earlier, the Synodal Assembly in Germany, for example, uh, CNA Deutsch reported, as you would well know, that the number of faithful who actually participated in the surveys numbered, I'm, I'm quoting them in, in saying this, in the lowest single-digit percentage. So if that pattern right. continues on a continental level, then honestly, the survey that we're seeing with the Swiss Assembly might well be reflective of exactly what you said, these minute pockets of people who have been surveyed, and, and this is reflective of not the global desire of the faithful at large. Well, that's right. Uh, and as we have seen in Germany, which... Uh, and I want to be absolutely fair to the synodal process that's taking place uh, from the authentic synodal process. Let's put it that way, that the, the request from Pope Francis 
travel his road that the Germans have so far been pretty obstinate in refusing to take. So we have to separate out that German synodal process from what Francis has been asking. Having said that, the Germans are of the view that this will be the document that they send to the Synod of Bishops. And when we look at that group that is cherry-picked, it is very carefully crafted as to who's participating. We have the input, obviously, and participation of the German bishops, many of whom are very alarmed at what has been taking place in Germany. But then when you get into the Central Committee of German Catholics, this is an organization that has been known for a very long time. Uh, to advance an agenda that is directly contradicting the teachings of the Church on the, the very key areas that the German synodal path uh, has chosen to focus on, and that's authority in the life of the Church. As you noted, the sort of democratization of authority and hierarchy in the Church, uh, demolishing the Church's teachings on human sexuality, mm-hmm. uh, the question of the ordained priesthood, and then, of course, uh, the possible ordination of women. All of the things that are currently... Uh, in their view, things that need to be changed. So this is apparently going to be the official document that goes to the Senate of Bishops and presumably uh, will be the one that will be a a component in this continental phase next. The Swiss bishops now are weighing in uh, with their own document, and I think we're seeing patterns here. Uh, We'll have to see what exactly is the end result of these documents and how they're integrated into these continental discussions before they make it all the way back to Rome. I've been talking to Dr. Matthew Bunsen, Executive Editor and Washington Bureau Chief for EWTN News and Senior Fellow at St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. So let's revisit exactly what you just said. One of the problems that's coming out of what we're seeing right now uh, in synodal processes in Europe is that, for example, the Swiss bishops, under the blanket category of clericalism, uh, these veiled attacks against what is essentially magisterially revealed objects of divine revelation, aspects of divine revelation that we have no authority to augment in any way. So what's really going on here in terms of these listening processes? Because denying equality to women, women is, as you would well note, quite frankly, false in church history. So, so walk us through what's really going on in terms of the sentiment of the populace. Well, I think uh, what we're seeing in a port like this, as we are seeing in, not to go back to it again, but I think it's important to do so uh, in this German synodal process, is that uh, we have agendas that are Mm -hmm. preset, conclusions that are already concluded uh, that will find their way into these reports. Uh, For example, the idea of uh, the devaluation of women and rejection of people from, as they describe it, the LGBTQ spectrum, Uh, Are there areas that greater pastoral care uh, is needed? Unquestionably. And I think that's the type of pastoral accompaniment that Pope Francis is talking about. Mm -hmm. That is far removed, however, uh, from abandoning the teachings of the Church uh, and watering down or abandoning uh, our very clear teaching on things like abortion, of human sexuality, of of what is authentic love. Mm-hmm. And as you know, too, uh, the the question of the role of women in the life of the Church. Right, women and Pope Francis has, has called for a greater role for women in the life of the Church. But as he himself has said on a number of occasions, that the door for the ordination of women is closed. Mm-hmm. That was made very clear in the Second Vatican Council. That was made clear by Paul VI, by John Paul II, by Benedict XVI, and by Pope Francis. Mm-hmm. These groups, however... Uh, are 
refusing to accept that in much the same way that we are seeing now as well, a push uh, under the guise of things like uh, false interpretation of synodality right. uh, to try to destroy uh, the legacy of Paul VI with the important magisterial teachings such as Humanae Vitae. So what we're seeing here is, again, under the guise of synodality, a systematic attack, veiled nonetheless, but a systematic attack against what is essentially magisterial authority and democratization of it uh, is is but a vehicle to that end. We are going to continue the conversation with Dr. Matthew Bunsen, Executive Editor and Washington Bureau Chief for EWTN News. We invite you to stay with us. We have about 30 seconds left in this segment, uh, Dr. Bunsen, and I'm going to ask you to stay on as we continue the conversation on this and other uh, church news that we should be discussing. Stay with us on Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Cresta on Cresta in the Afternoon. Welcome back to Cresta in the Afternoon with me, Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Cresta on this lovely day. We've been talking to Dr. Matthew Bunsen about the synodal process amongst the Swiss Bishops' Conference. Dr. Bunsen, thank you for staying on the line. So let, let's finish up our conversation as we were discussing it earlier. And then I'd like to address briefly the issue going on with Cardinal Lett and, and what kind of bearing that has on the local church. So uh, we were talking about how what's happening seems to be a systematic attack against what is ostensibly magisterial authority. So help us see what's going on here, and how can we as the faithful respond to this? Well, I think uh, one of the the things that's been very important from the beginning, and and in some ways this window has passed a little bit, um, has varied significantly from diocese to diocese, as I've been mentioning, and, and even from parish to parish. I suspect that uh, we will be seeing a lot of reports, um, certainly on the U.S. side, of uh, the participation of Catholics from across the spectrum uh, of culture and background and demographics and other things. And I think that's a very good thing. I think from the beginning, there has been not a suspicion, but as we always see, a certain reluctance uh, to take part in some of these listening sessions, uh, A, because very often people just don't want to participate in these sorts of things. Those who are motivated to participate uh, or who are encouraged uh, to participate have tended so far, I think, to be those who have a lot of complaints against the church and um, come from either a certain agenda or a certain perspective. So we're seeing that play out. I think that the Swiss report is a perfect example. When you look, for example, on uh, how they describe minority votes from this group that had gathered. Mm-hmm. Uh, they make the point that, the, that those were questioning the need for a synodal culture for the Catholic Church, not changing the role of priests in the current hierarchical shape of the Church, limiting the influence of laymen and women in the Church, and, and preservation and promotion of traditional forms of liturgy, especially the extraordinary form. Mm-hmm. What I find striking about just that very quote uh, is that well, the questioning the need for a synodal culture, that would mean basically you're, you're, you have expressed reservations about the direction that this particular discussion took, uh, or not changing the role of priests in the current hierarchical shape of the church means that you were probably in favor of maintaining 
what is divinely oriented hierarchical structure of the church as it is. Uh, so what we're seeing, I think, in the way the dismissive tone is, mm. that's taken regarding minority votes is that uh, the concerns that were expressed probably by many faithful Catholics were that the group that at least took part here were dismissed out of hand uh, and that the pre-organized agenda was simply and almost inexorably enacted uh, by this Swiss gathering in exactly the same way that we have seen the voices of concerned Catholics in Germany mm-hmm. being dismissed out of hand. Right. Uh, and in much the same language that we see, for example, in the, the culture wars that we have here, especially in those who are confronting uh, things like gender ideology, that if you express concerns about a particular thing, you're simply derided as a homophobe or a hate monger, and therefore you are seemingly disqualified from further participation in the conversation. That's right. That's right. And as long as you are branded as this uncharitable figure, this this mean, mad person, uh, anything that you say, regardless of how rational and how sound and fitting it is, is completely thrown out the window. So, you That's know, absolutely right. So you're familiar with uh, Canon 750, subsection 1, where, where it talks about how all of the Catholic faithful are bound to common adherence under the leadership of the sacred magisterium. And the bishops and the priests especially have a duty to demonstrate this unity to the magisterium in all that they teach and say. What do you think the synodal processes, you know, with the Swiss bishops and then the Australian bishops and the German bishops, what do you think this is doing for the image of the unity of the church for the lay faithful on the ground? Well, this has been one of the risks for a while now. Um, and the phrase that I think we can use in some ways, I, I wouldn't characterize for the German synodal path because this was from the very beginning conceived and executed mm-hmm. uh, to achieve its aims. Right, to be uh, willfully schismatic. Exactly. Well, or however they... Right, however they want to express it, we'll yes. Yeah, um, what I think we are seeing, and I think this has been the source of frustration for faithful Catholics, uh, is that uh, there has been worry, as I was just mentioning, this reluctance on some to participate, in part because they think that this is a, a, a process that's already been hijacked. And I think that would be a word that I've heard from a number of people uh, who were involved in some of the listening sessions and elsewhere, uh, that this process has at times been hijacked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we're also looking at and the numbers are accurate, as we saw with Switzerland, we're hearing similar numbers elsewhere that perhaps one to two percent of all Catholics have actually taken part or have been heard in this process. Uh, that raises some serious potential issues uh, at the product at the very end. It's, it's basically saying that this is a, a damaged uh, process. Now, we can say that uh, any time you're doing surveys, and I, again, I want to be very fair to the organizers of the Synod, uh, who are doing their best to canvas and to hear from Catholics literally all over the globe, and that is an immense undertaking. So we have this new continental phase where the, the bishops' conferences are gathering together these reports. So I think there is wisdom in this process, and this is what Francis has asked us to do, and and I think we're trying to do it as best we can, Uh, and I think he sees this as important, but Francis also recognizes, I'm sure, that there are going to be risks involved with a process like this, and and when we add in the dimensions of uh, the fallen humanity, Mm -hmm. uh, there's always going, there has to be room here for some of uh, what we're seeing. Right, and 
you and I would both know there's a distinction between allowing room for the fallenness of humanity to be taken into account and willfully manipulating the process for the sake of the enabling of the very things that cause a greater fall in human nature. I'd like to pivot our That's conversation right. to uh, the, the issue surrounding Cardinal Ouellette, just to keep the lay faithful apprised of what's going on. I'm talking to Dr. Matthew Bunsen, who is the executive editor and Washington bureau chief for EWTN News. So give us a brief overview of what's happening with Cardinal Ouellette and what are some of the things that we need to look out for, because the Vatican's coming under criticism because of this too. It is. Um, so what we're seeing is a class action lawsuit that was filed uh, in fact, just this week uh, based on the, t- the cases of the testimony of over 100 people uh, regarding possible sexual assault by clerics or church staff in Canada uh, from 1940 to the present. And overall, uh, it names almost 90 different clerics in the accusations in the suit. So mm-hmm. let's be clear that this is a civil suit filed against the Archdiocese of Quebec. It's not the same thing as a criminal proceeding. That's right. Now, having said that, as uh, many of our listeners would know, the evidentiary process for a civil suit is very different from a legal one. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Mm-hmm. The highest-ranking person to be named in this lawsuit is Cardinal Mark Willette, uh, who is currently the prefect of the Dicastery, or former Congregation for Bishops, which means he is one of the most prominent church leaders in Rome. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was the Archbishop of Quebec for a number of years uh, and has been accused uh, by a pastoral intern uh, for improprieties, Uh, from 2008 to 2010, during the time that he was still the Archbishop of Quebec. This matters, A, because this is a lawsuit of really extensive dimensions. Uh, Whenever you have a a class action suit of this size, it matters. Uh, Any accusation of this type uh, is important, uh, given where we are facing Mm -hmm. the clergy sexual abuse crisis. Um, But uh, it is also now gaining a lot of attention simply because Cardinal Mark Ouellette has been named in this suit. Uh, he was, in 2013, considered papabili, which means uh, mm-hmm. that yep. he was considered a possible candidate for the, the papacy. And his name, uh, despite his age, he's 78, uh, continues to circulate as were a conclave to take place. He might very well uh, receive votes to become pope. So. Mm-hmm. This is a, it's a big story on all fronts, uh, including how the Holy See itself has responded. Exactly. So that brings my, that brings me to my next question, which is these allegations that have been levied in particular against Cardinal Ouellette, the Vatican has known it for the past at least, what, like 19 months now, give or take? Yes. And according to the lawsuit, that's right. Right. And, uh, and and therein lies the issue, because what secular media and, I guess, even the class action lawsuit w- will come to question is effectively how has the Vatican been handling these allegations that, that come to their table, and in particular, Pope Francis's capacity of handling this is being questioned. Right. Uh, and those are questions that uh, emerge uh, almost any time that we have these types of lawsuits or these types of allegations all eyes tend to be focused then on what was the Vatican's response. Mm. That matters uh, because uh, we need to be in a position where we are responding effectively and transparently. Uh, And Pope Francis himself has been, uh, I would argue, a very forceful 
a figure in advancing the campaign against clergy sexual abuse in the church, uh, picking up where Pope Benedict XVI very famously left off. Right. And many of these allegations um, would would seem at least to fall under uh, Vos Estis Lux Mundi, which was the papal decree uh, that began looking into accusations against bishops. So it's a question I think that uh, many in the media are asking, what has been the Vatican's response? Uh, what investigations have taken place uh, regarding Cardinal Ouellette? What are the conclusions of that? Uh, all of those uh, are likely to be fodder f- both for the media, but also for any lawsuit. And in this particular case, uh, the alleged victim accusing Cardinal Ouellette uh, claims that she wrote to Pope Francis in January of 2021, uh, received some kind of a response uh, the next month, uh, and that was the last that uh, she apparently has heard. Now, the, the Vatican is, I'm certain, looking into this, but where that went, uh, we'll have to see. But again, those are those are questions that are always going to be asked, uh, and it's the scrutiny born both from expectations uh, of people that the Vatican does need to respond to this, and that the Church needs to respond well and transparently, as I said. But it's also uh, a, a question of what is justice, and are we really serious in our effort here? Right. You know, Dr. Bunsen, I want to uh, thank you for your time here. And we have less than a minute left in this segment. Uh, can you give us a very short exhortation on hope and prayer? Because that's really what we need in response to all that we've just discussed. Well, I think uh, it is in the face of uh, so many of these accusations, in the face of these ongoing struggles, uh, absolutely essential to maintain that hope. Uh, we have the anniversary of John Paul II's Entrusting the World to Divine Mercy. Let's turn to that and let's not forget that. Thank you so much, Dr. Bunsen. Been talking to Dr. Matthew Bunsen, Executive Editor and Washington Bureau Chief for EWTN News. I'm Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Cresta and Cresta in the afternoon. Stay with us as we discuss the universal call to evangelization with Steve Dawson.